Yo, what is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and talk with other filmmakers about filmmaking and YouTube. So, yeah, this is going to be another Q&A podcast. So I do a Q&A podcast every single month where I ask you questions in my YouTube community and on Patreon and even sometimes on Instagram. And then I answer all your questions. So we don't have too many questions this month. We actually don't have any questions from Patreon, which if you were interested in interacting with me more, getting a bunch of perks, joining me on Patreon is the best way to support me. And when you ask me a question on the Patreon page, I'll actually read it with your name. So you'll get a little bit of a shout out here on this podcast as well. But so yeah, no questions this month on Patreon. If you do support me on Patreon, be sure to check my page every once in a while because I usually post these Q&A asks at the beginning of the month. All right, so let's just jump in to the YouTube community questions. First question is, could you give a breakdown on how you reach out to potential clients? So yeah, this is something that I'm not super versed in, I guess, because when I was working freelance, I was doing mostly weddings and then I was doing some nonprofit work. So I didn't have to actually like reach out to clients. But what I will say is that if you do have a body of work already established, reaching out to clients with some examples of your work that you would like to do for them is going to be really, really beneficial. So that's what I would suggest is if you're going to be reaching out to, let's say, a coffee shop or something like that, having some work that demonstrates that you know how to make a coffee shop ad or something like that is going to be really beneficial when you do reach out to clients. So yeah, just be sure to proofread and just be ready to not hear anything back because that happens to me a lot when I reach out to anyone, whether it's a brand or a sponsor opportunity or something like that, sometimes you just never hear back. So just don't get your hopes up too high, but try to be as professional as you possibly can. All right, next question is, maybe it's just rumors. I hope so. But do you think it will be necessary to buy new lenses when Panasonic comes out with a phase detection autofocus system for the Micro Four Thirds? Or should the current lenses be able to be used? Yeah, I mean, if Olympus cameras are anything to base autofocus performance off of, I used Panasonic lenses on my EM1 Mark II and the autofocus worked perfectly fine just as well as all the Olympus lenses. Like it worked great. So yeah, I don't think that you're going to have to invest in new lenses. All the lenses should work. Just like when, you know, Canon introduced dual pixel autofocus. Sure, the STM lenses were quieter, but every lens could autofocus just fine because that's how the lenses were designed. They're designed to be autofocused. So it's just a new system that's doing the autofocusing for you. It's not really going to be that dependent on, you know, having to get new lenses. So I don't think that we're going to need any new lenses. You know, there are going to be probably some lenses that work better than others, especially a lot of like the third-party lenses might not work as well, like the cheap young UOs or the Sigmas maybe. But but yeah, I think that the current lenses that Panasonic have should work just fine. All right, the next question is, have you ever thought about dipping into mobile filmmaking with the very worthy gear we have out now? Uh, no. <laughs> this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't like mobile filmmaking. I don't think that it is at the level that it needs to be. And even when it is like, I don't know, I like having certain tools for certain jobs. If my GH3 could make phone calls, I wouldn't be using it as a phone. You know what I mean? Like just because my phone can take pictures and videos, I don't want to use that as like my main workhorse because it's my phone. 
And there are other things that I use it for that aren't phone related. Like I use it as an iPod, which I don't know if that makes me sound old, but yeah, I mean, my phone is my iPod. My phone is my calendar. My phone is my alarm clock. My phone is my navigation system, but all of those things are just daily tasks that my phone helps me with. I don't want it to help me with professional tasks. So I, I totally see the merit in why people use their phones as a filmmaking tool. But for me, that's just not what I want to use my phone for. I want to use my phone for making phone calls, listening to music navigating me from place to place and that's it and taking random snapshots for Instagram or whatever. Yeah, if I had an iPhone 14 Pro or something like that, I probably wouldn't even be using the video features that it offers because I just I mean, I'd be using it as a photo camera, just like I use my current iPhone, but I wouldn't be using it to shoot my YouTube videos. You know what I mean? The sensors are small. You can't control the aperture I and mean, there's just way too much stuff that you have to bulk up your phone with to make it usable like you have to have a case on it that can accept a filter and get a variable in d to control the exposure outside that's just the kind of stuff that like i just don't want to do like that's what i have my, um, like an actual camera for why bulk up my phone to make it be the size of something like my gh3 if i can just use the gh3 anyways so yeah no hate on anyone that likes mobile filmmaking it's just i don't know over the years it's just gotten really boring to me and i feel like all mobile footage looks exactly the same People have tried to like send me videos like, hey, look, you can't even tell that it's filmed with a phone. Yeah, I can tell. I can I can easily tell that it's filmed with a phone. And I feel like most filmmakers can. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff for mobile filmmakers. It's just never really interest me. How to export to YouTube for best quality. Try to max out your bitrate at like 60 megabits per second. I usually do it with a constant bitrate, even though that takes longer, especially in Premiere. But yeah, like past 60 uh, megabits per second, you won't really see that much of a quality difference. And then yeah, whether I'm shooting in 4K or 1080p, I always export my videos in 4K because that'll help squeeze any of the sharpness and quality out of your file on YouTube. I wish that YouTube had better compression like Vimeo does, but they just don't. So you got to kind of render it out at the highest resolution possible just so you can get the actual quality of your footage to come through on YouTube, which is really annoying. All right, so next question is, what online filmmaking slash camera communities are you a part of? And do you actively participate or lurk? Subreddits, uh, Facebook groups, discords. I don't take part in any discord group. No subreddits. I don't really get on Reddit at all. I used to be part of the EOS M filmmakers Facebook group, but I kind of left there because I didn't have an EOS M anymore. And I mean, some cool, like a lot of really cool work on that, that EOS M group, but no, I'm not really part of any groups. I do lurk on the rumor sites though, a lot, all of like the micro four thirds and Sony alpha and Canon rumors. I lurk those a lot as well as like Cine D and news shooter. So yeah, those are the, the few sites that I lurk on. Have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome when it comes to filmmaking? If so, what are some things you do to process it so you can move forward? Yeah, I feel like I used to a lot and I still find myself dealing with it a little bit, but honestly, not as much as I used to. Now, I feel like it all depends on what situation I find myself in. Like if you put me on a Hollywood set and somebody gave me a camera, I would definitely be dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome because I probably wouldn't know what I was doing. I mean, I'd know like how to like light stuff to a certain extent and probably how to run the camera, but all of like the onset lingo and the different roles and stuff like that is just kind of foreign to me just because I was a skate filmer growing up. I didn't grow up, you know, going to film school or anything like that. And then I just kind of transitioned into freelance and YouTube stuff. So I've never really been on that kind of a set. But, you know, if you told me like, hey, we're doing a, a YouTube video, we need you to shoot it. 
I would feel totally at home. So I feel like it just kind of depends on like which situation I'm in. And that will kind of determine whether I am going to be dealing with any type of imposter syndrome. When your skills are at a certain level, like the whole imposter syndrome starts to die down a little bit, you know, kind of like, I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I always bring up skateboarding because that's the only like real analogies that I can relate to. But you know, when I was first started skateboarding, going to the skate park was really intimidating because I wasn't very good. And there was a lot of really good skateboarders there and I felt out of place. But now when I go there, you know, I'm usually, I mean, I'm not trying to like brag, but I mean, I'm usually like within the top 20 skateboarders there at the skate park as far as like skill levels go. So I don't feel as intimidated going to the skate park anymore because I have a certain level of skill that I just don't feel awkward being there. And I feel like that's the same thing with filmmaking. If you're at a certain level, imposter syndrome starts to die down a little bit. Not saying that I'm great, but when it comes to the stuff that I do, YouTube type stuff, interviews, promotional type stuff, I'm pretty confident that I can do a good job. So I don't feel that imposter syndrome kick in as much as I used to. All right. So next question is, Hey, Nigel, I've been thinking about starting a new channel. It would be creating similar content than I am doing right now, but more filmmaking general stuff. The reason being is that I originally created my channel as a vlogging channel and slowly switched it over to being more tech micro four thirds focused. I feel like YouTube has a weird target audience for my channel and that is making my growth on YouTube much slower in comparison to other creators I have worked with who are creating similar content but have a pretty brand new channel. What would you recommend? Stay on this channel or start fresh on a new one to get fresh data? Yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts on this. And I think someone even replied to this question below and I'll read that later. But on the one hand, I have seen new channels kind of blow up a lot. Like I started a van channel like a year and a half ago or something like that posted a couple of videos that were very minimal effort on my part, but they got like a lot of views. The first one that I posted, got like 80,000 views. And the second one got somewhere around like 30 or something like that, which is a lot for a channel with only 1300 subscribers. So I can definitely see, you know, YouTube pushing my van channel videos out to like new viewers who are interested in van stuff. But I honestly don't think that if I started a new channel and posted the same type of content that I'm currently posting, that it would get any more or any less views. If anything, I think it would get less views because on my main channel, I actually have a little bit of an audience. The thing is, is that like YouTube is a meritocracy, right? Like you can't just make a catchy title and a catchy thumbnail and expect views to come in if your video isn't actually providing what it's promising to provide or engaging people enough. And that's what I've been like struggling with for the last almost year, I would say, especially since moving here to Texas, is that like my videos have kind of been like dipping down. Some of them, you know, if they get over like, you know, 20,000 views, I'm stoked. But a lot of them have been really under that 20,000 view mark. So I've been having to like pivot and kind of like throw spaghetti at the wall, so to speak, to just see what's going to work. And I think that my videos are you know, like decently good, but they're obviously not connecting the way that I want them to connect. So I have to try something new. And I think that if I just kept creating the exact same type of stuff that I was creating back in 2020. Like, I definitely think that my channel would have been in a lot worse shape than it's at right now. Yeah, I would just say, like, reevaluate the content that you're making. If it worked for you two years ago, that's great. But the stuff that worked on YouTube two years ago doesn't work today. So you have to try new things. You have to try better hooks. You have to, you know, get better A-roll, better B-roll, switch things up. You know, trying to switch up my A-roll. And even though I hate vlogging, trying to switch it up so where it's not just me in front of a camera at the exact same spot all the time, that's been helping with my audience retention. So just like look at your, your analytics. I personally don't think that if you started a brand new channel 
and made the exact same content, that content would necessarily do better than it would on your main channel. A buddy of mine had a similar struggle where he wanted to just start an entire new channel where, you know, he would go a completely different direction. But what I kind of suggested is that like, well, you already have, like he already had like 50,000 subscribers and it's like, you already have 50,000 subscribers. And even if, you know, a third or even like an eighth of them would follow you into like this new venture, that's still more than starting from scratch at zero. So that's like what I always suggest is like ease your audience in to new content. You know, if you think that a variety channel doesn't work, I would argue to go and look at Becky and Chris's YouTube channel. They do just a whole bunch of random stuff, but it all seems to work and they've figured out a way to make it work. So yeah, like analyze their channel and just see how you can use some of the techniques that they use in your own channel. I hope that that helps. I was kind of long-winded, but I've been talking about this a lot. Yeah, like all I would say is just, you know, take a look at your channel, you know, look at your analytics, look at your retention, see where the retention dies off and stop doing wherever you're doing that's making the retention die off. All right, next question is, what is a good replacement batteries for the Panasonic GH4? This is pretty easy. I use the Wasabi third-party batteries for my GH3 and they're great. I love them. So yeah, Wasabi is the only third-party brand that I actually trust for Panasonic batteries. Are there any free audio editing software that you've used? I'm using Cheap Gear T3i Techstar 598. All right on. That's a legendary kit right there. You could use like Audacity. I don't know if you can actually like cut and edit with that. But honestly, if you're just editing audio, just download DaVinci Resolve, the free version, and just pull your audio into that editor. That, I mean, like I edit like this podcast in Premiere Pro just because cutting and ripple deleting everything is just like video so you could just do it in davinci resolve free the light version that's what i would suggest next question is did you ever do a march q a i don't see it yes i did i posted it last month and the q a ask was posted on my community page last month so yeah just look through my community page every once in a while if you want to get in on these q a episodes all right so next question is what is one project slash video you want to make but haven't i've really wanted to make like a full-length skate video or like a, a full-length skate part for somebody i've made a couple pseudo full-length parts but they were like back in the day when i really didn't know what i was doing so a full-length skate video or a full part for somebody i think would be really fun hi nigel i'm going to shoot my first wedding video can i ask you some suggestions based on your experience thank you so much yeah i would i mean it kind of depends on what suggestions you were wanting because i have a lot of thoughts on shooting weddings but i'll just keep it simple and do some gear suggestions you need at least two cameras, one to shoot down the aisle, and then the other one will be manned by you. And then, you know, having a monopod is going to be the most nimble way of getting around and picking up shots. I would say, depending on what camera you're shooting on, having a good fast zoom lens, like a 24-70 or like the Sigma 18-35, to depending on what camera you use, it's going to be the best for like run-and-gun wedding shooting. But also, you know, you can get away with doing it with primes as well. Yeah, just have a really good relationship with the wedding coordinator and the photographer that's going to be there. So you can just kind of pick off shots of each event as it happens, as efficiently as you possibly can. So yeah, all right. So those are all the questions from the YouTube community page. And I did a kind of a bonus ask on Instagram. So I'm going to read these questions. All right. So the first question is, how do you find good shots in ugly places? Now, I love this question because I've been having to do that a lot here in Texas. <laughs> no, but really, I would just say it's always better to look for good spots to film in during golden hour because stuff will always just stick out to you a little bit more when the light is good. So 
you know, go either when the sun is just rising or when the sun is just about to set. Like as far as like indoor locations, I would just say turn all of the, the lights off in whatever location you're at and just see where natural light is coming in. And then, you know, you can emphasize that natural light with your own lights. That's usually what I do. All right, so next question is favorite prime lenses for micro four thirds. That's pretty easy. I would say the Sigma 16 millimeter is one of my favorite primes. The DJI 15 millimeter, great prime as well. I also really liked the Panasonic 42.5 F1.7. That one has image stabilization, which is crazy. I mean, I like, I own the 25 mil F1.7 right now, which is great. The 14 mil F2.5 great little small pancake lens yeah there's a lot of great primes but those are some of my favorites this next question is how is your wife so hot and that is my wife asking this question <laughs> you can tell she's very humble about her appearance <laughs> no but really my wife is really hot i know that every husband says that about their wife but i mean legit my wife sarah is very attractive all right and the last question on instagram is want to come to la to help me shoot weddings this summer I mean, I am going to be on the West Coast this summer. I'll be back in Oregon. So, and I mean, yeah, like if we can work it out to, you know, I can get down to LA and shoot some weddings with you. I'd be totally down for that. Uh, hit me up in my DMs for sure. That'd be really fun. But anyways, yeah, that is all the questions that I have for April. Thanks to everyone who submitted a question and be sure to stay tuned next week because we're going to have another guest on the podcast, a recurring guest, but another guest nonetheless. Anyways, thank you all so much for listening to the Long Lines Podcast. Again, if you'd like to support me on Patreon, I'll have the link in the show notes below. Anyways, I'll talk to you guys next time. Later.